Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and this is Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. Today, we continue our series of God's Rescue Plan with a message titled Darkness and Death. So let's turn in our Bibles to Exodus chapter 10, verses 21 to chapter 11, verse 10, as we join Dr. Newfeld now. The word sunset, well, that's a description for the end of a day, but it's also a very powerful metaphor. I mean, consider the senior's residence that's called Sunset Manor. You know, that's quite a statement. It's as if the people who named it were saying, you know, the people who live here, the sun's about to set on them. The day is near past. The night has almost arrived. But we also, when an empire collapses, think of the sunset of an empire. It means, you know, the empire is over and then now it's headed towards darkness. But there's another factor about sunset that that modern people need some time to digest, and it's this. We live in an amazing period of history. We have something called electricity, and so at night we light up our houses as well as our streets and entire cities with artificial light. We even travel at night in automobiles that brightly light up the road. But it wasn't that long ago when things were very different. Night meant darkness. And if the clouds would cover the sky and the moon was not visible, people were often immobilized at night. Yet they could travel at least to some extent, you know, if they had an animal that could see better than they could. But darkness, well, that became associated with death. Moses has been letting Pharaoh know that he can't escape the commands of the one true God. And Pharaoh has been resisting. His heart is hard. He's not responsive to the commands of God. And now the night is about to fall. It's it's time for the ninth and penultimate plague. So I'm reading Exodus 10, 21 to 23. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand toward heaven, that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, a darkness to be felt. So Moses stretched out his hand toward heaven, and there was pitch darkness in all the land of Egypt three days. They did not see one another, nor did anyone rise from his place for three days, but all the people of Israel had light where they lived. And just like the last two series of plagues. This series ends with Moses not appearing directly before Pharaoh. Moses, again, would have appeared in a public place. There he stretches out his hand, and as before, we have to assume that his staff is in his hand. And the blackness would have been immediate, and it would have been absolute. We notice that the English translation says, a darkness that can be felt. And that's an interesting translation because, well, you know, darkness can't be felt. You know, the difficulty in translating that word is that it appears only here in our entire Old Testament. And some have suggested that it should be translated not as felt, but a darkness that requires groping, groping around. It's a darkness that's so dark, it's impossible to see anything at all. You know, a number of years ago now, on one occasion, Kathy and I were on vacation with our kids, and we came to one of those cave tours in the U.S., We were some distance down, and of course, the place is lit by electric lights. But in order to emphasize that we were now in a place where there was no external source of light, with a warning, the electric lights were turned off. It's the first time I had ever encountered complete darkness. I remember putting my hand right in front of my face, and I couldn't even see a shadow, none at all. Now, I think that's what Moses is describing here, because Egypt is a dry desert, You'd have expected on most nights, you know, the moon and the stars would have been visible, but not now. This is a supernatural darkness. We know that this is the case because our text said that the people did not see one another and no one was able to travel. 
that would have led to sensory deprivation, and we'd have to assume that people are quite disoriented. One has to wonder exactly how it's possible that there would have been light in Goshen where Israel lived. I mean, was there kind of a wall of light and darkness? Well, perhaps. But no one in Egypt doubted that God had placed his hand over Egypt and it was plunged into a darkness they had never seen or known before. And at this time, Pharaoh becomes desperate. He offers Moses his most substantial concession up till now. Exodus 10, 24. Then Pharaoh called Moses and said, Go serve the Lord. Your little ones also may go with you. Only let your flocks and your herds remain behind. And we have to assume here that the three days of darkness have come to an end and that this has badly shaken the entire nation. Even Pharaoh has felt unnerved. Up till now, some people have died in other plagues. I mean, many animals have died. The harvest of Egypt is spoiled. Uh, The nation is in a dangerous position. But now this, night has fallen on Egypt, and it's a horrible symbol that the end is at hand. The Egyptian sun god is the head of the Egyptian pantheon, their most powerful god, and he is Amun-Ra. But he has been shut up. No one is left to deliver Egypt, not even he. You would have expected that in this ninth plague, Pharaoh would have completely capitulated, but he doesn't. Everyone can go, he says, but the animals stay behind. I mean, clearly Pharaoh, in spite of the fact that he stands at the dissolution of his nation, is almost insanely bargaining for something. He does not want to give up on these slaves being his people. So now, Exodus 10, 25 to 29. But Moses said, you must also let us have sacrifices and burnt offerings that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. Our livestock also must go with us. Not a hoof shall be left behind, for we must take them to serve the Lord our God. And we do not know with what we must serve the Lord until we arrive there. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he would not let them go. Then Pharaoh said to him, get away from me, take care, never to see my face again. For the day you see my face, you shall die. Moses said, as you say, I will not see your face again. You know, later when we come to the book of Leviticus, God will reveal the exact nature of the kinds of sacrifice that will please him. But at this point, Moses can't say with clarity what kind of sacrifices are acceptable to God. And for that reason, he simply will not agree with any compromise with Pharaoh. And all the while, Moses demands have been consistent. He's offered no concessions at all, and that's enraged Pharaoh. On a number of occasions, Pharaoh has sought out a compromise, and on the other hand, Moses refuses any bargain at all. He just keeps repeating what he wants. It's it's like someone negotiating to buy a car or, or a piece of property. One person makes some compromises, the other never moves, and that's maddening. And this might explain that Pharaoh now says something that will lock him into a corner. He says he's done speaking with Moses. If Moses ever comes into his presence again, Pharaoh will order his immediate execution. What Pharaoh is learning is simple. You can't negotiate anything with God. God is not an ancient trader offering up a price that's actually higher than what he was prepared to sell the merchandise for. God never bargains. And many of us wish he would. We say, God, if I do this for you, then then you'll do this other thing for me. And God responds, I act and I speak in my righteousness. I act in my righteousness and I will treat you in my righteousness. And for many of us, that's almost inconceivable. And we're reminded of Jacob when he's fleeing from his brother and he encounters God at Bethel and he's seen a ladder stretching up to heaven. And he said, if God will protect me, 
And if God will prosper me, and if I'm able to return to the land of my father, then, he says, I'll allow God to be my God. And he was an arrogant man in those days, not unlike Pharaoh that we meet here in Exodus. And in the case of Jacob, God humbled him through a very deceitful father-in-law. And then finally, at the Jabbok River, where he wrestles with God, I mean, finally, Jacob would be brought to the place of surrender. Pharaoh's case is different. God is also humbling him, but Pharaoh will not surrender. In essence, the night has fallen on Pharaoh. God has signaled that the bargaining is over. And Pharaoh now, knowing that his son God, Amun-Ra, has been humiliated and that he himself is backed into a corner, is left with no more to do than to threaten to kill Moses. And it's now with nine plagues having played themselves out where we're given a pause in the action. It's a horrible pause. Just before we will see that the night has indeed fallen, Pharaoh has threatened Moses with death in a vain attempt to convince Moses how much power he has. Pharaoh needed to know that night had fallen on any threat or any offer. The power was in Moses' hand, not in his. Indeed, his own hardness of heart, even that came from God. Yeah, there would be death, but it would not come from Pharaoh. Indeed, it would come upon the house of Pharaoh. Moses need not worry. God controls everything. Now to Exodus 11, 1 to 3. The Lord said to Moses, Yet one more plague I will bring upon Pharaoh and upon Egypt. Afterward, he will let you go from here. When he lets you go, he will drive you away completely. Speak now in the hearing of the people that they ask every man of his neighbor and every woman of her neighbor for silver and gold jewelry. And the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. Moreover, the man Moses was very great in the land of Egypt in the sight of Pharaoh's servants and in the sight of the people. You know, that short paragraph indicates that we've now come to the highlight of this drama. There is, says God, only one more plague. You know, it was back in the seventh plague, the plague of the hail, that God had said, by now, I could have put out my hand and struck you and you'd have been cut off from the earth. It would seem that the slow scale of ratcheting up the plagues was now finally coming to an end. Night would fall on Egypt. It's that time of year again for the release of our annual Back to the Bible Canada 2023 scripture calendar. This year's theme is Freedom in Christ, to commemorate the gift of liberty that God has graced us with through Jesus. Each month, you'll find stunning visuals, a Bible verse reflecting on freedom, and encouragement from Dr. John Newfeld to live freely. It also contains a guide to help you read through the Bible in its entirety in one year. It's our hope that this resource will serve as a tool to help you engage with God's Word daily, as well as to encourage you to live in the freedom that Christ has purchased for us. The Freedom in Christ calendar is available free for the month of October. But hurry, supplies are limited, so to request your copy today, call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca. It wouldn't have been apparent to us until reading the passage right now. But the plagues that rain down on Egypt have created an ever-widening gap between Pharaoh and the average Egyptian. You know, it's often the problem with dictators. You know, because of their concern to project their power and to cut off any resistance, they don't hear the truth. Everyone's afraid to tell them. 
And they are, as it were, in the dark. And the darkness they now inhabit will lead to death. And the people of Egypt, far from supporting Pharaoh, actually support Moses. That's something we need to remember when we tell the story of the Exodus. Exodus is not an anti-Egyptian tract, but it is a tract that heaps ridicule on both Pharaoh and his magicians, as well as the gods and goddesses who are impotent and disgraced. And the people of Egypt knew that, and furthermore, they feared the God of Israel. You see, our text also says the Lord gave Israel favor in the sight of the Egyptians, and that would mean that there was compassion for the plight of these slave people. What had been done to them had been wrong and that they had the right to leave the land of their slavery and journey to the land that God had promised them. And so even though the event was called plundering the Egyptians, we need to remember that the Egyptians were willing to be plundered. They must have thought that they owed it to them. And so when the people ask their neighbors for money, the response is overwhelming. People give gold and silver signs of wealth. They realize that people who are on their way to a homeland are going to need resources. Now, this Egyptian response reminds all of God's people today that God often provides for his people by giving them favor with others. And I need to stop here and remind my listeners of this. You see, sometimes in our modern world, we're prone to judge the response to the gospel by what we're hearing from political leaders as well as people in the media. And it's important not to be fooled by this. The political leaders are often far more isolated from the common person than we know. And for that reason, it's important for for Christian people, look, don't be shy about sharing the gospel. Far more people are receptive to the gospel than you might know. God can give us far more favor than we might even believe. Don't listen to the newspapers or the elites of our society. Listen to the Lord and trust him to give favor. Night may be falling on our culture, but don't you think that there's no one that's receptive to the gospel? So let's get back to our text. Before I read it, let me explain. When we read verses 1 to 3, we had Moses speaking to Israel or the leaders of Israel. But now in our next section, we're drawn back to the final encounter between Moses and Pharaoh. Remember, Pharaoh has said, if you ever try to appear before me again, I'm going to kill you. And that has been said, but Moses has something he wants to say before this encounter ends, and Moses and Pharaoh would not see each other until after the last plague. Exodus 11, 4-8. So Moses said, thus says the Lord, about midnight I will go out in the midst of Egypt, and every firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on his throne, even to the firstborn of the slave girl who is behind the handmill, and all the firstborn of the cattle. There shall be a great outcry throughout the land of Egypt, such as there has never been, nor ever will be again. But not a dog shall growl against any of the people of Israel, either man or beast, that you may know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. And all these your servants shall come down to me and bow down to me, saying, Get out, you and all the people who follow you, and after that I will go out. And he went out from Pharaoh in hot anger. You know something significant here? When would all this happen? It would happen at midnight, in the darkness, at the time when the darkness in Egypt was at its most significant. And here we're reminded that the previous plague was but a forerunner to the final and most horrible one. Darkness has prevailed in Egypt, and now darkness will be combined with death. 
Now, this passage sometimes strikes the modern reader. I mean, how could God so indiscriminately kill so many people in the land, even among those who've been favorably disposed towards Israel? And in order to answer that objection fairly, let's remember that first, that God is the author of everyone's life as well as he is the one who determines the death of every human being. You know, I like to say it, that God has the day of our death in his daytimer. None of us will live one day longer or shorter than what God has determined for us. And furthermore, let's also remember that God owes no man or woman an apology in their death. For the wages of sin is death. We are in our sinful condition by nature, enemies of God and objects of wrath. And furthermore, we need also to remember that among those who fear God and bow the knee to his authority, even among us, God has appointed the day of our death. And he does so that we might identify with Christ, our Savior, in his death. Listen, God owes no one an apology for their death. And furthermore, let's also remember that among the Egyptians, if I read this text correctly, a number of them joined themselves to the people of Israel. I'm going to say more about that in the future when we come to the actual Exodus itself. But let's not fool ourselves by saying, you know, God killed the innocent. Listen, no man or woman is innocent before God. We're all deserving of death. And as we're going to see when we come to the Passover, Israel wasn't saved because of their righteousness. They were as much sinners as were the Egyptians. Rather, they were saved by the blood of the sacrificial lambs. And that speaks to us about the nature of grace. We don't escape the darkness and the death by our righteousness. We escape it by the grace that God extends to us through the sacrifice he has provided. But for now, we see that although all of Egypt deserves judgment, God has purposely chosen to limit his judgment. There is going to be mercy here. Only the firstborn will die. Now, that's significant in a way that modern readers fail to comprehend. I'm saying more about this in the future, but in the ancient world, the the firstborn was considered the sign of the strength of the father. The firstborn also inherited the family legacy as well as the family finances. You see, an attack on the firstborn was an attack on the future of the nation. And so God was to reach out and strike Egypt's strength. Pharaoh's firstborn would die. The firstborn of all the magicians would die. The firstborn of the court officials listening to Moses' voice would die. The firstborn of all the nobles would die. The firstborn of the farmers, the firstborn of the officials seeing the slavery of Egypt would die. The firstborn of every peasant would die. The craftsmen, the farmers, the military men, as well as those who lived on the edge of poverty. There would be solidarity in Egypt. No one would be mourning Pharaoh's firstborn because they'd all be too busy mourning their own firstborn. This would be so comprehensive, even the animals would die. It would occur at midnight, but not in Israel, so that all Egypt would know that Israel is the chosen people of God. God had a different plan for his people. And the last thing that Moses does when he leaves Pharaoh's presence is to make a prophecy that when the morning comes after that fateful night, that Israel will leave very quickly. Moses then leaves Pharaoh. He's angry. Such hardness of heart on such full display that that such wrath would be necessary. And the two men will speak again, but only under very different circumstances. And when we read this account, we're reminded that the world in rebellion against God will not go on into infinity without there being a day of reckoning. You know, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 4. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? 
For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. See, that is, in spite of difficulties that people face, a great many people simply assume that things aren't going to change. Night and death are not awaiting us, they say. Judgment day will never come, they say. We will always avoid the worst, they say. And so, comforting themselves with the thought that the past experiences will determine the future, they simply assume that things will remain as they are. They deceive themselves. Exodus 11, 9-10. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh will not listen to you that my wonders may be multiplied in the land of Egypt. Moses and Aaron did all these wonders before Pharaoh, and the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not let the people of Israel go out of the land. Now, Pharaoh would not listen, and in this God had a plan. He would multiply his wonders. And many of us reading this have a hard time imagining how the death of the firstborn would be a multiplication of the wonder and the grandeur of God. How is it that darkness followed by death and, of course, ultimately followed by the judgment of God would be a multiplication of the wonder and grandeur of God? Well, the wonder of God, which, of course, is just another way of saying the glory of God, that's being multiplied as God displays his righteousness. He will not leave sin unpunished. The day of judgment, although delayed because of his mercy, is coming. The good news is not that judgment is removed, for it is not. Rather, judgment has been borne by the Son of God for all who place their hope in Him. Those who believe, night will indeed turn into a glorious day. John, thanks so much. You know, we know that Pharaoh put his trust in the sun god, Amun-Ra, who failed miserably. But are there things in our lives that we should be cautious about putting our faith in, even as Christians? Yeah, in the end of the day, you know, it's a funny thing. I, I've been thinking about this. And Ben, when we are, um, when we bow our head at the uh, the meal table, I mean, what do we do? We thank God for the food that He has provided. But sometimes we do this simply uh, by rote, and then we go on to say, "Well, you know, everything that's on my table is a result of what I have provided." And so we begin to trust in ourselves and our ability. We trust in our economy. We trust in, you know, the technology that's around us. And we, we trust in, you know, the prognostications of people that, you know, that we trusted. These become our areas of trust. Let's not do that anymore. Thanks so much, John. And remember to join us again tomorrow as we continue our series, God's Rescue Plan, right here on Back to the Bible Canada, Bible teaching you can trust. The Back to the Bible Canada Israel experience is a trip like no other, and I'm not the only one who thinks so. A supporter who attended our most recent trip said, listening to Pastor John teach the Bible while looking and breathing the air where the events he speaks about may have actually happened puts doubts of the authenticity of the Bible to rest. So make plans to join an intimate group of spiritual pilgrims this coming spring from April 16th to the 24th, 2023, and consider the optional Jordan extension from April 24th to the 29th. Join us in the Holy Land with on-location teaching from Dr. John Newfeld and wonderful evenings of entertainment with Laugh-Again's Phil Calloway and very special musical guest, Amanda Stott. For more information, the trip itinerary, 
or registration forms, call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca.